We're in a series in the book of Acts, and we've come to chapter 4. This is not a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter series. We're going to be looking at different um, episodes in the book of Acts. Uh, Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I'd like for you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, and we'll read this portion of God's Word together. Let's stand in honor of God's Word. And as they were speaking to the people and the the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander. And all who were with, and all who were with, uh, were the, of high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? That is the healing of the layman. But Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to him, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, They had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a noble sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may not spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more, to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak, but we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, They let them go, finding no other way to punish them because of the people, 
For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. You know, when I think of this story, an old hymn comes to my mind. I'm sure it's familiar to to most of you. I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to thee. I am weak. But thou art strong. Here we see two men. (laughs) The healing of this lame man has already taken place. And Peter and John were just common, ordinary believers in Jesus Christ. Nothing special about them. We know that they were fishermen, which was not a very prominent occupation in the first century of that time. But God used these ordinary people in extraordinary ways. And I I think if you search the Scriptures, you see this um, lesson all the way through the Bible. God uses the ordinary to do extraordinary things. Just think about it for a moment. He, He used the son of a heathen idol maker by the name of Abram to be the father of the Jewish nation and the ancestor through whom the Savior would come. God used an insecure, doubting, stuttering Moses to deliver the children of Israel from bondage in Egypt. He used a, he used a fearful coward by the name of Gideon as a judge to deliver the children of Israel from the hand of the Midianites. He used a young shepherd boy from Bethlehem, David, to become Israel's greatest king. He used a weeping prophet, Jeremiah, to pronounce judgment on God's people, Judah. He used a rugged, uncouth prophet by the name of John to announce the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he used a band of ragtag fishermen to turn the world upside down for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, over the years, God's method has not changed. Hasn't changed at all. He still uses ordinary people to do the extraordinary. He still uses the weak to do his work. I want you to listen to what Paul says about those who God chooses. Listen to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 26 and following. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26 and following. For consider your calling, brothers. Now, now this is a description of the church. This is a description of you. This is a description of me. This is a description of Wassamasal Baptist Church or any church. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. That are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's the church. These are, these are the folks that God chooses to use in our world today. Not the wise. Not the powerful. Not the noble. But the foolish, the weak, the despised. The things that are not. See, God chooses weak Ordinary people like you and me to share the greatest news of all, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that's God's doing. And the question is, why? Why would God do such a thing? Well, verse 29 tells us, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why does God use weak folks like you and me? So that he'll get all the glory. That all the glory will go to him because he deserves it all, every ounce of it. God has placed the gospel of Jesus Christ in our hands to share hope with a hopeless world. God has placed this gospel in your hand and my hand to share hope with a hopeless world. We are weak, but the gospel is strong. Now, what do we need to know about this gospel? You know, I mean, if, if God has placed this gospel in our hands to share it with a hopeless world, I mean, what do we need to know about this gospel? What are some things we need to know about this gospel? Our text tells us very clearly what we need to know. In fact, our story tells us five truths about this amazing gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, the first, the first thing's going to probably kind of um, surprise you. But we see it right here in the text. It is clear as the nose on your face. The gospel is offensive. The gospel is offensive. Sharing the gospel, my friend, has never been a popular, acceptable thing to do. You know why? It offends. It cuts to the core. I say the gospel tells the naked truth about man. That we're sinners. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The gospel also tells us that there's a penalty for sin. For the wages of sin is death which is spiritual death, which is eternal separation from God in a terrible place called hell. People don't want to hear that. People love to, to hear about heaven, but they aren't so eager to hear about hell. But my friend, if there is a heaven, there must be a hell. The gospel is good news, but it has bad news too. And the bad news is about us. It's about us, and people don't want to hear that. They really, they really are anxious to hear that they're sinners, that they're separated from a holy God, 
and in danger of hell. People don't want to hear that. Well, the gospel that Peter and John preach offended the religious elite in his day. We see that in the story. Again, uh, beginning at verse 1 again, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Notice, notice their reaction. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody. Now we'll stop right there, okay? They had Peter and John arrested for preaching the gospel. You know, these were the same guys that arrested Jesus and had him condemned and crucified. Same people. Now, that's how offensive the gospel really is. You say, well, pastor, you know... They aren't throwing Christians in jail in America today for preaching the gospel. That's just not happening today. No, but it's happening to hundreds of thousands of believers all across the world. In China, in Russia, in India, in Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Syria, and the other Muslim countries is happening every single day. This is the persecuted church. And folks, we need to pray for the persecuted church. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who don't live near us, but who are suffering just because they love Jesus. That's that's the only reason. They're being imprisoned. They're being beaten. They're being killed just for sharing their faith. On my many mission trips to India, I heard the testimonies of Indian believers who were cruelly beaten. Their homes and their churches were were burned down. And uh, just because they loved Jesus, that was it. Just because they were faithful in proclaiming the gospel. Now here at home, we've been spared much of that, haven't we? But it seems to be changing And my friend, it's changing rapidly. It really is. Our world is increasingly becoming anti-God, anti-Jesus, anti-Bible. Christians are the most hated, the most despised people group in the world today. There's no question about that. Those who believe in biblical morality, the sanctity of human life, both born and unborn, a biblical view of marriage between one man and one woman are called bigots, homophobes, and haters. And today, if you take a stand for Jesus and his gospel, you probably won't be thrown in jail or arrested, but you might not get that promotion at work. You might not get that raise at work. You'll probably be laughed at, mocked, teased, called a preacher boy, even cursed. And it's getting worse, not better, I promise you. If the Lord tarries, I see the day when Bible-believing pastors will be arrested and thrown in jail for hate speech. We need to pray for these young pastors. I've got a son who is a young pastor, and we need to pray for them. 
We need to pray for these young pastors who preach the gospel unashamedly. For the day is coming when they will pay a big price, I believe, for their faith. I think there's a lesson that we can learn from Peter and John's persecution here. In spite of the opposition that they faced among the religious elite of that day, in spite of the persecution, they didn't retreat, they didn't stop, they kept preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, we still have those heroes of the faith, we really do. We still have those who won't be muzzled, who won't be silenced in spite of the opposition that comes their way. You know, I can't help but think of um, the hero of the Columbine High School shooting in April 1999. When that gunman walked up on her and put his gun to her head and said, Do you believe in God? Yes, I believe in God, she replied. And he fired the shot, and the next moment she opened her eyes in glory. You know, I've, I've thought about that. If we're ever faced with a moment of decision like that, what will, our, what will our answer be? What will our answer be? Folks, the gospel is offensive. We should know that. And when you share the gospel, you need to realize that there's a lot of people out there who's not going to hear it. That's not your problem. That's not my problem. God has just called us to share the truth. That's it. The gospel is offensive. The second thing about the gospel I want us to see from the text here is this. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God for salvation. Look with me at verses 1 and 2 and then skip over to verse 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Look at verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now that's just counting the men. Ladies, I'm sorry, I don't know why they didn't count you. You know, but that's just the men. That's probably not counting some of the, uh, the, the older children who came to know Christ. So, man, the church was growing. And what does this tell us? The gospel works. The purpose of the gospel is to save the lost. And God does that through the gospel. But he does it only through the gospel. Only through the gospel. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Notice, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now see, the gospel does exactly what it is intended to do, to bring salvation to all those who believe, to all those who put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And my friend, if you're here today, and if you haven't believed the gospel, if you haven't believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you haven't put your faith in Him, the Bible says if you do that immediately, God will save you and He will give you life eternal. The gospel does what it says it will do. Now, not all will believe. We know that from the text. Uh, these 
religious leaders, they rejected the gospel. The Sadducees, they didn't, they didn't believe the gospel. Why? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. My friend, you can't be saved. You can't be a Christian if you don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can't. So not everybody believed. And people reject the gospel every single day. We don't share the gospel because all will believe. We share the gospel because some will believe. It's not our job to convince anyone to believe the gospel. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict of sin. Just think about when you were saved. You just didn't wake up one morning and say, oh boy, I need... No, it was the Holy Spirit of God working in your heart, bringing conviction. And then the moment you put your faith in Jesus, that moment the Holy Spirit gave you new life. Our job is just just to share the message. You know, God's going to do the saving. Now, God can save anyone, even the most unlikely ones. I can't help but think of Saul of Tarsus. I mean, what a hard man. You know, what a religious zealot he was. Wow. He persecuted the church. He held the robes of those wicked men that stoned righteous Stephen. Yet God miraculously saved him on the road to Damascus and used this Saul of Tarsus who became the Apostle Paul to take the gospel throughout the Roman world. Just think of all of the, uh, of the church he planted. Just think of all of the souls that God saved through his preaching. In fact, the bulk of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. And he was the chief of sinners by his own admission. By his own admission. He says, I'm the worst one of all. And we have to take him at his word. But God saved him. See, God can save the most unlikely. Don't give up on on your one who is far from God. God often saves the most unlikely. I love what Hebrews 7.25 says. It says, God is able to save to the uttermost those who come to Jesus. The uttermost, the uttermost. Yes, the gospel is offensive. Yes, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Thirdly, I want us to see that the gospel is man's only hope. The gospel is man's only hope. Do you know the reason the gospel is so offensive? Because it it proclaims Jesus as the only way. The only way. See... We preach an exclusive gospel. It's not Jesus plus. It's not Jesus in this. It's not Jesus in baptism. It's not Jesus in works. It's not Jesus in trying to live a good life. It's Jesus, period. See, we proclaim an exclusive gospel. That's what Peter and John preached. Look at verse 10 of chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel 
that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And don't miss this. And there is salvation and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is salvation and no one else. Oh, my friend, we believe, we preach, we proclaim an exclusive gospel. You know, Jesus put it this way. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When it comes to salvation, there is no other way. It's Jesus or nothing. It's Jesus or hell. There's no other way. Jesus is not a good way. Jesus is not a better way. Jesus is the only way. There is only one name that can bring a lost sinner from spiritual death the spiritual life, and that name is Jesus Christ. We proclaim an exclusive gospel. There's no other way to be saved. And my friend, if you're here today and you're, you're trusting anything other than Jesus, you're trusting the wrong thing. It's only Jesus that can bring salvation. That's why we must be a Great Commission church. That's why we must be Great Commission Christians. Because the gospel says, the gospel says in Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That was Jesus' last command here on earth. Go make disciples. Now, Jesus' last command needs to be our first concern. If that was the last thing that, that he wanted to share with his people, man, that ought to send up flags that this is very, very important. Usually the last words of a, of a dying man are important. You know, when a, when a person is, is dying, you know, and, and they start talking, you just lean over. You want to hear everything they say because what they're going to say is something very, very important. Well, the words that I just read in the Great Commission, these were the last commands of Jesus. His last command needs to be our first concern. Is it your concern? I mean, does it, really, does it really concern you that that neighbor next door, that person at work, that boy, girl at school is lost and headed to hell? Does it really concern you? You know, if you saw one of these big log trucks that we see on Cooper Store Road all the time, just barreling down that road. If you, if you saw one of those big log trucks just bearing down on a person, walking down the road, wouldn't you do all you could do to warn that person of the impending danger? 
You know, I don't think there's a person in this room who wouldn't do all they could to warn that person on the pathway to death. Why is it then we're silent? And people all around us are lost and headed for hell. Why is it? You know, people all around us are walking down the path of eternal destruction. You know, how can we keep silent and not warn them of the danger and and also tell them the good news that there is a Redeemer who can save them and His name is Jesus. Well, see, our responsibility is to share the message, the sound forth the warning. Yes, we are weak, but my friend, this gospel is strong. This gospel is strong. George Whitfield, the great evangelist of the Great Awakening in the 18th century, he once said, God forbid that I should travel with anyone a quarter of an hour without speaking of Christ to them. But we keep silent. Could it be that we've forgotten what it is like to be lost? Could it be that we've just forgotten what it was like to be without Christ? Without hope? We must never forget what it was like to be lost. And we must never forget what Christ has done for us. Have you forgotten? I'm telling you, when you remember, when you remember what it was like to be lost and you remember what Christ has done for you, you will share the good news of Jesus Christ in spite of the opposition that might come your way. Yes, the gospel is offensive. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is man's only hope. Fourth, the gospel is transformational. It's transformational. Billy Graham said, One of the greatest hindrances to evangelism or witnessing is the poverty of our own experience. Well, see, our spiritual health has a direct impact on sharing our faith. I, I mean, if we're living in spiritual poverty, we don't have much to offer. Well, what do we have to offer if we're, if we're living in spiritual poverty? But when we spend time with Jesus... And it's where He fills us so that we can pour His gospel into others. It's good to hang out with Jesus. I think that's the lesson. It's good to hang out with Jesus. He will rub off on you. He really will. People can tell when you've been with Jesus. In fact, these religious leaders, they could tell that Peter and John had been with Jesus. Look at verse 13 again. Verse 13, And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Man, they were blown away. And the only explanation that they could come up with, they said, you know, they didn't get like that fishing. The only explanation that they could come up with, they had been with Jesus. No longer did they have the smell of fish on them. They had 
the fragrance of Jesus on them. Very early in my ministry, a man came to see me in my office. And when he walked into the office, the odor was unbearable. I literally had to breathe out my mouth to stay in the room. The moment he left, I got a can of Lysol and I sprayed it down. And I asked the custodian who was next door, I said, what does he do for a living? He smiled and he said, he's a pig farmer. Now, I hope I'm not offending any pig farmers here today. But if you hang out with pigs, you're going to smell like pigs. If you hang out with Jesus, if you spend time with Jesus, if you spend time in His Word, you are going to smell like Jesus, you are going to look like Jesus, and you're going to act like Jesus. Well, see, the sweet fragrance of Jesus will be on your life, and people will notice it. What a difference Jesus makes in a life. What a difference the gospel makes in a life. It's transformational. It literally transforms a life. Let me ask you, have you been with Jesus? Have you been with Jesus? Maybe the reason your life hasn't changed and out since you've been saved is because you haven't been with Jesus. Maybe the reason your life is spiritually stale and indifferent to the things of God is because you haven't been with Jesus. Maybe the reason you're grumpy and mad at the world and have a sour disposition is because you haven't been with Jesus. Maybe the reason you're struggling with the same sin for years and years and years is because you haven't been with Jesus. Let me ask you, do people look at me, do people look at you and say, wow, he's been with Jesus. Oh, she's been with Jesus. See, the more we are with Jesus, the more we like him. The more we hang out with him, the more we like him. Oh, yes, This gospel is offensive. It will cut. Not everybody's going to like it when you share it. I promise you. Many will reject it. Some will believe. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. The the gospel is man's only hope. The gospel is transformational. And then finally, the gospel is compelling. The gospel is compelling. Look with me at verses 14 through 20. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a noble sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may Spread no further among the people. Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. 
But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Oh, they warned them. Better not preach in Jesus anymore. You better not do it. But they couldn't help it, could they? They couldn't help it. They couldn't help but speak of Jesus. Let, let me ask you, have you ever been around someone that, that just could not shut up? Now, don't name any names. You might hear your own name, okay? Listen, the more we fall in love with Jesus, the more we can't keep our mouth shut talking about him. The more we fall in love with Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God who lives in us will compel us to share him with others. That's what Peter and John were saying here. We can't control ourselves. You know, we cannot keep but speaking the name of Jesus. We can't stop. It was D.L. Moody who once said, there's not a better evangelist in the world than the Holy Spirit. Well, see, the Holy Spirit of God who lives in you and lives in me wants to speak the gospel through us. Well, see, the Holy Spirit wants to share the gospel through us. You know, really, the only thing we can do for Jesus is talk about him. You know, that's about it. Just talk about him. It's not our job to save anyone. Just pray, share the message, and just leave the results with God. Amy Carmichael, great missionary, great missionary. She said, you cannot pull people uphill who do not want to go. But you can only point them upward. And that's what God has called us to do. Just point people to Jesus. That's all we can do. We're just ordinary people. But God wants us to use us in an extraordinary way to share His message with people. We're weak, but He is strong. In closing, let me just ask this one question. Who can you point to Jesus this week? Who is it in your sphere of influence? Who is it that you can just point? to Jesus this week. And I'm telling you, if a church full of people like we have here go out this week and pointing people to Jesus, it's going to make a tremendous difference in this community. What's our vision? Reaching our world for Jesus and discipling them one person at a time? How does it all begin? By doing what Amy Carmichael said. Oh, we can't pull them to Jesus. But we can point them to Jesus. Let's do that this week. Who can you point to Jesus this week? Let's pray together.